In the old school world of freight forwarding, apparently there's still room for startups. Hi everybody, I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. Freight forwarding still carries something of a musty vibe. Historically, it's been a highly paper-intensive business occupied by many small entities, many of them family-owned for generations. More recently, the freight forwarding function has become engulfed by mega-providers with global scale, offering a menu of services that includes customs brokerage, multimodal transportation, and a whole range of other logistics services. So you might think that there's no room in the business for scrappy startups, And you might have been right just a few years back. Today, however, technology is opening up new opportunities for launching a freight forwarding venture. Take San Francisco-based Flexport, which bills itself as a forwarder built on a modern technology stack and digital communications. Today, we're speaking with CEO and founder Ryan Peterson, who will explain how the company found its niche, expanded quickly in just four years, and is now growing into a platform for global trade. He'll also offer advice to others who want to launch a new venture in the world of logistics. So here is my conversation with Ryan Peterson. Ryan Peterson, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Do you consider the logistics and supply chain area one that is ripe for startups these days? Well, it's it's hard to say. I think there's a lot of opportunity because there's a lot of problems. And so, you know, challenges become opportunities if you can solve them. I also think these Jews are real problems. They're not trivial. It's not like you just walk in and everything just magically lines up and, and the problems solve themselves. So, if you're ready to work, I don't think it's the kind of space where you start a company and six months later somebody buys it from you. If you want to come in and make it your life's work and spend five or ten or twenty years solving the problems, like for sure you can, for, for sure you can do things a better way. Well, it is kind of a crowded field, and the freight forwarding and logistics service sector is very dominated by big players now. A lot of big global players. So I would think a new a new kid on the block coming in would have a bit of a challenge finding its place in that world. Yeah, that's fair. Um, and there's just a lot of expertise required, too, in addition to the scale of being big. But it's, it's, these companies have real capabilities and people, and it's very hard to replicate that. Yeah, I want to talk to you about the expertise issue in a moment. But I want to hear about your own experience first with Flexport. Um, I, I take it that you kind of see the unique value proposition of Flexport as being one foot in the traditional logistics and supply chain area, but one foot in modern technology, described as a company with a so-called modern technology stack. With that in mind, I'm wondering how you first went about pursuing this. When you got the idea to start Flexport, whom did you approach first in terms of trying to get investment in the venture? Ah, Well, you know, actually, the investment in the venture came quite a bit later. I I was doing a bunch of experiments first to see if customers would be interested. If this thing existed, if this business and the service existed, would there be people willing to pay for it? And so before I went out and tried to say, let me get money to prove the concept, I wanted to first have some real proof that I could bring to the investors. So 
I actually built the first version, got maybe 300 signups for the service, which was going to be a customs brokerage and freight forwarder on the internet, just like what we are now. Before I ever talked to any investors, I had gotten a lot of traction. Now, we weren't in business. They weren't customers yet. They were signups. They were people who expressed interest and where I could have good conversations and learn that, yes, in fact, there is demand here. So then after I had done that and after we had onboarded maybe three customers, you know, there was actual revenue. There were some thing, people to point to, some people who could investors could talk to and say, why did you agree to work with, with Ryan and his team? Then we went out and, and raised money. And the, I think the first people that we ever got money from was a group called Y Combinator, which is a startup accelerator. They funded almost a thousand companies, maybe more than a thousand companies now including some pretty famous ones. Airbnb is probably their most famous, but Dropbox, Stripe, they keep lining them up. There have been a lot of great YC companies. Yeah, when you say accelerator, it means that in more ways than one because Y Combinator really pushes for, as I understand it, very quick growth for startups. That can be a problem for some startups that don't have traction at the beginning, but I guess in your case you saw a path to growth pretty quickly, right? Yeah, and Paul Graham is pretty famous for saying that if startups equal growth, that if you're not growing really fast, you're not really a startup. Even if you're a new company, you're just a company. And so growth is the defining characteristic of a startup in his view. We subscribe to that as well. I don't know that we have to keep we, – we want to grow as fast as we can maintain our customer, levels of customer service and no faster. Was your pitch to these potential customers as simple as that, a freight forwarding logistics company on the Internet, period? Basically, I said it's a trillion-dollar industry that there's no software for the companies. Changed quite a bit, actually, as Flexport's grown and, and matured and learned, more, and frankly, as we've learned more. The original pitch was much more of like, we are going to build TurboTax for importing and, and customs, make it easy for – and there's this whole generation of e-commerce entrepreneurs, people selling things on Amazon and eBay and Shopify and, their, and other platforms that have got access through the Internet to find suppliers around the world and find products – and access through the internet to meet the customers and sort of serve that matchmaking middleman role. And yet they don't, the logistics part is sort of still not got, they don't have good tools on the internet and, or at least this was the original hypothesis. And, and so I thought that it was just for these small guys. And I used to be one of those merchants. I used to buy stuff in China and sell it on the internet in the United States. I thought that was the business that we were starting only after we launched or after we even during the pilot phase, even where I started getting big companies signing up for our website, finding us on the internet and saying, yeah, we want this. We don't have enough visibility or control over all the products moving through our supply chain. That's been the evolution of Flexport. The original pitch was much more around like it would be an SMB proposition, help small companies deal with the complexity of global trade and, and use software to sort of teach them and make it or make them more organized and, and allow them to collaborate with their customs broker and, and maybe eventually with their factory. As we've grown and as we've, as we've, talk to more folks, it's very clear that even the biggest companies in the world want better systems in this part of their business. But I don't need to tell you that this is a world that is brutally complex in terms of what you have to know in order to take advantage of certain tariff concessions and to comply with a myriad of trade and customs regulations the world over. So was there any reluctance or nervousness on the part of prospective customers or investors saying, can you really do this in a world that is that complicated? For sure. So compliance is the biggest 
probably the biggest risk factor in our business and the one that we spend the most time thinking about. Now, unlike a lot of these other businesses that have come out of Silicon Valley and at point to Airbnb, but also Uber and, and others, they're heavily regulated and they're sort of, there's some gray areas in their business. And they've even, in my opinion, flaunted the law in some cases. Our laws, although complex, are black and white. Like we can see here are the rules and we can follow them. And there's a decades-long tradition of, of expertise in that. So we were able to recruit and hire folks. So one of our first hires was the director of the – he was actually the chairman of the board of the Northern California Customs Brokers Association for 13 years and has been a practicing customs broker for over three decades. We've taken compliance seriously from the start and hired lots and lots of experts that, that really know that space. So we're not trying to do anything new you know, our business model doesn't require like changing the rules the way some other startups might. Ours is simply comply within the rules 100% of the time, and then let's make software to make it easier to understand those rules. And technology, actually, we think can have a huge role in compliance make you, to make you better at it because compliance often is about checklists and about process control and really knowing, you know, documentation and audits. And software is really good for this because – you can make that that checklist digital, and that's what we've done. And you can make search where you have to search, for example, the denied parties list. You can make that use fuzzy matching logic, which means that a typo will still be found, on the, mm-hmm. even if you spell it slightly wrong. List so, plural. But, list plural. I mean, so many different lists that you need to be looking at at the same list, time. Yeah, sure for sure. A hundred percent, yeah. So, for example, being able to have a checklist that's digital means that if something's missing, it automatically creates a flag for the audit committee to go, you know, the audit teams to go look and see, hey, what what happened here? How come we're missing this document or whatever it might be? You can flag that in real time, whereas if it's sitting in a file cabinet or in a database that doesn't have a good modern interface for searching it and for flagging things, very hard. So we think tech actually plays a huge role in making us a more compliant and better freight forwarder and customs broker. Well, to make a venture like Flexport work, you need two areas of expertise. One is expertise in this industry, and the other is expertise in technology. Now, you're no newbie to the industry. You have previously founded a venture called Import Genius, correct, providing business intelligence to the import-export industry. So you kind of knew your way around this, uh, yeah. this business before. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say I knew all the ins and outs. I, knew, I really knew the customer problem. I really understood the sales and go-to-market strategy for the current players, and I knew their customer service levels really well. Uh, I've had to recruit a lot of the expertise on like what goes on behind the scenes, and I certainly was not an expert on freight forwarding when I started the business, but I've managed to find people who are, and, and really what, what I'm most proud of here at Flexport is we've created a real learning culture where everyone here is trying to learn, and, and, and so I think, I don't know if we know more than everyone else in the industry, but I know that we learn faster. And then the other stream, the technology stream. Are you a, have you been a techie guy all these years? Are you a, uh, are you a programmer? Or are you uh, conversant with technology in general? Yeah, well, my dad's a computer programmer, and I got all his hand-me-down computers starting from the age of two. I had a com- like a supercomputer on my desk for whatever era that was. That was, uh, and that's going back. I'm I'm 36 years old, so back in the in the 80s, I started using computers before the internet came around. So I, you know, I built the first version of our website, but I'm certainly not qualified to touch any code anymore. We have much much better programmers than me. What's your impression of the degree to which Silicon Valley specifically and the VC community in a larger sense is educated about the world of logistics and supply chain? Uh, very little, I think. I, don't, I think that they're, 
they're starting to discover that there's this enormous market, which is actually the backstage for everything, right? If all the world is a stage, logistics is the backstage <laughs> that's getting everything there. And it's, so it's fascinating. And I've, we're seeing a lot more interest in it. I, I think anyone who spends time in the industry gets addicted and thinks, wow, this is, it's just so marvelous to see how everything around us got here and, and how all the businesses that we see every day actually work. But, I mean, it seems like the business model of so many of the new startups, you referenced Uber, Airbnb, and the like, the idea is to take an old business, old, tradition-bound and staid, and disrupt it with technology. In a way, is that is – that, were you arguing that we're doing that with logistics and supply chain, what Uber did to taxis, what Airbnb did to the hotel business? I think it's very different. There are certainly some things you can learn, and, and the lessons that, that are maybe hopefully similar around user experience, around how can I make the end customer of this experience really enjoy that better, get a better, more value out of it. I think Uber and Airbnb are both very good in that. Their business models are fundamentally different in that, well, one, we already talked about the compliance aspect of it, but two, I think they're much less likely to do the customer service themselves and own it, especially in Airbnb's case, right? I mean, they're still you're, they're connecting you with a homeowner, or Uber's connecting you with a driver, but it's that driver and Airbnb don't work for Uber, they, and so your customer experience is very much influenced by someone who's kind of like third party, nothing to do with not, nothing, no really strong connection to the company. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Flexport wants to own that user experience from door to door. So your team, we're not like a matchmaking service that connects you with some other company or some other person to help you. We we do that. We own it from end to end. We take, we're one throat to choke. We take responsibility for what's going to happen with your freight and make sure it gets delivered from door to door. And so I think that part of our business model is different than theirs. It may lead us to scale a little bit less fast, like, you know, a marketplace model can scale super fast because you, if you can get supply on and demand on, your company's not the constraint. Flexport's not a marketplace model. We're a freight forwarder. And so we'll grow slower than Uber and Airbnb, but that's okay. And you have to hire actual people to work for you. Uh, exactly. How many people are working for the company now? We're now 280 people. And, and so you we, started, you kind of opened the doors on uh, when exactly? Uh, March 31st, 2013. Was, I was employee one on that day. Okay, so four years old, yep, and you're over 200 people. Was that in line with your original plan, or did you vary, vary from that in either direction? Certainly not. I think if I told you I thought we'd be as successful as we are, I'd be, I would have been delusional. I, I'm sort of delusional, but not that delusional. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, you know, I've had a healthy naivete, and believe, and it's helped us a lot. I think in industry, part of the reason we've been successful is someone who knew this industry. If I knew the industry as well as I do now when I started, I, I don't know if I would have believed that we could have pulled off what we've done. I mean, it's just really complex. You said that earlier, but it's just might be the most complex software and real world combination that anyone's attempted. I want to get back to the investment thing. It seems to me like you did a really good thing doing your homework. In other words, like you said, before you even went to the VCs for money, you found out what the require what the demands of customers would be. I take it that you brought that information to the investors, the potential investors. Did you think that that kind of helped you attract the money once you had that information to show them? Yeah, so we had we, by the time we raised any significant capital, we were already doing maybe half a million dollars a year in revenue. And I had started another successful business. Import Genius is a, a database that helps companies search for factories overseas for their and see. Basically, we've taken every shipping manifest for ocean freight imports 
digitized those and made it searchable. So you can look up any company's shipments, uh, see all their factories, see all their customers, see the, you know, the trading patterns on any trade lane, et cetera. So that business is quite profitable. Investors knew that. They like to invest in someone who really has deep domain expertise, has experience building a startup success. So our fundraising has never been a problem for Flexport. Our, our, our problem has always been actually executing against the, the vision of, of what we've pitched to investors and, 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 and to customers, frankly, when and following through. And, and there's infinite demand in freight forwarding for a job well done. If you, if you do a good job at the right price, you will not have a demand problem. The Always fact, an operations problem. Can you actually do a good job, right? But the fact that you started out already with some business before you went out for bigger money, I wonder if that gives you or gave you a little bit more freedom and control over your company because a lot of times when you go to a VC in the early stages, they're in a position to dictate terms. Yeah. To tell you how, how you're going to grow, who you're going to put on your board, who's going to be your CEO and stuff like that. Did this give you a little bit more say in your business affairs by already uh, coming to them with, a, with an established business? A hundred percent. And I, I do a lot of talks for entrepreneurs and a mentor and a few different sort of venture accelerators and at various colleges, colleges and stuff. I always tell people, you know, don't let the investor tell you what to do, or more importantly, don't wait for their permission. Like if you got a great idea, find a way to do it. And, and if, by the way, if you can't do it and because of money, well, there's tons of ideas out there. There's many other ideas so maybe it's maybe you should try a different idea and one that you can do with no money because raising money is just tough and you want to raise money in a in a position where they're asking you to invest because you've built something great not oh I need your money if I otherwise I can't build something it's yeah. kind of a mindset thing there too that investors want to see that you you you're not waiting for anybody they better get on this train or it's going to leave well, you have been successful on the investment side. I mean, now you just uh, you've, you've gone to series a series B funding, correct? Yes, yeah, so we've that? raised we've raised a total of ninety four million dollars so far for the business. And is that going to keep you going for a while? We're projecting to be profitable at the end of this year, and then profitable for the whole year next year, and we'll still have plenty of money left in the bank. But that's why you raise a lot of money because the future is uncertain, and you don't know what what will happen. Did you target, or are you targeting specific industries and types of products? Yeah, we did. Now, in, we're pretty agnostic these days. We'll ship pretty much anything. Uh, it, we don't do perishables and we don't do ha hazmat except for sort of consumer electronics and some bat lithium-ion batteries and some stuff that's really pretty standard. But we don't do chemicals and we don't do – we're not really doing pharma because we're not set up with cold chain stuff and we're, we don't do perishables. But almost everything else, if you look around you wherever you're sitting at home right now, uh, if it's not a live Flexport, we'll probably ship it. And in terms of modes, I take it it's multimodal, it's international. Are you using, utilizing all modes of transportation? We are. We do air, ocean, truck, and even rail these days. And do you find your communication with those modes to be satisfactory in terms of you need information from them before you can pass it on to your customers in terms of tracking and status and things like that? That can be pretty tough. Are you, have, are you having a pretty good relationship with the modes, or do you think there's some work to be done in that regard? Well, we have fantastic relationships with all of the major carriers for pretty much every asset class. We don't do much directly with railroads. We tend to buy rail freight through the ocean carriers. We, we don't have rail contracts direct, but everywhere else we're in talks with C-level execs at, at all the airlines, all the ocean carriers. We have contracts with the ocean carriers. So we're very happy with our relationships there, and they really like what we do. They don't see us as threatening because we're just another freight forwarder, and we're going to be the most reliable freight forwarder for any of our partners because yeah. we structure all the data for demand for the POs, purchase orders, so we can predict what's going to be shipped in advance and be much more reliable and predictable 
and that really matters to the asset owners. We are, you know, your question was about communications and tracking and getting data out of them. In a lot of cases, that's hard. We're, we've built EDI integrations for some and continue to sort of fight through that slog to get connections in real time for milestones and tracking and, and all we want to automate all of the communications to and from these carriers so it's so that it's not expensive that takes a long time we we often say here there's no silver bullets it's a lot of lead bullets you know one <laughs> one integration at a time one one partnership at a time but that's what's honestly that's what's created this opportunity for us is that if it was really easy and there was a single api that you could connect to and all the world would just light up digitally. Well, that would already exist, and, and Flexport wouldn't be here. We started out by talking about general opportunities for startups in this business, logistics and supply chain, and I'm sure you wouldn't necessarily welcome a plethora of them because that might potentially be in competition with you. But on the other hand, you do go out and you do give advice to entrepreneurs about how they might break into various businesses with new startups. Do you specifically offer advice in this area, and if so, what might that advice be? Yeah, I do actually. I'm a I'm a mentor for a, a logistics accelerator out of Chattanooga, Tennessee, called Dynamo, and it's um, it's founded by the old Access America guys, the founders of Access America Transport. It was one of the top truck brokers in the U.S. Sold to Coyote, and uh, and then later resold right to UPS. So these guys have had a lot of success in the industry, and I I'm on their sort of mentor committee. I help some of the logistics startups going through there, and I've invested in a handful of other small logistics, you know, parcel integrating startups and different things. So I'm really excited about logistics in general. And I know that Flexport's not going to be a monopolist. This is an enormous market. And we're even building our system to make it so that we can be the, it's all about interconnectivity. How do we connect to all the other partners, logistics startups, but we asset owners, customers, how do we link it all up? So I invest in lots of them. And my advice isn't that much different. It's Find customers, build them, build something they want. Don't wait for anybody's permission, except for the regulators. Make sure you do that right, and go sell. You know, go make sure you're creating value and then charging for that value. So, what's your big vision for Flexport specifically? Where would you like to be in five years, ten years with this company? Our opportunity is so big; it almost is distracting to get carried away because you're talking about 12% of GDP is logistics, and sure, freight forwarding is just a piece of that, but we sort of touch all the other pieces, so it's not impossible for you to imagine getting when you're daydreaming about how do we take on the next adjacent market to this one. I try to keep us really grounded in reality. We do our planning cycles on three to six months, not 12, much less five years. We want the business to be successful at every stage of its lifetime so that it's not this big bet on a dramatic, very difficult to achieve vision, which if you fall short, the business fails. We're much more, hey, we're happy to be the best freight forwarder in the world and build day by day and improve and iterate on that. But at the same time, my sense is that if it really works, and it it seems to be working, that if it really works, it can be more than just a freight forwarder. That In fact, what we're doing is connecting all of the vendors to all of the customers and, and really becoming this platform for B2B global trade transactions to connect those customers together so they can do business and actually help them execute the transaction and make it simple to get the goods delivered and, and ultimately perhaps even the payment made, get the products insured and delivered on time and in full metrics and KPIs on everything that's happening for all the parties in the platform. That to me is the ultimate vision. If you can become that platform, there's a platform for everything. For commerce, you have Amazon. For your friends, you've got Facebook. You've got all these platforms, and yet there's no platform for global trade that connects everybody together and makes trade happen. If you do that, you're, you're, 
you're so big that no one can even afford to buy you. It's the biggest, you know, it can be the biggest company in the world. So we're, we're very aware that that's the opportunity in front of us. And therefore the only constraint is just ourselves. Like, are we good enough to seize that opportunity? Do we have the capabilities and the leadership, the talent? Today, we don't, right? We have to keep adding more great people and learning more things and just improving as a business. And that, so we don't spend a lot of time looking at competitors, just what, what do we have to do to be good enough to seize this huge opportunity in front of us? Ryan Peterson, I want to thank you so much for telling us the story of Flexport and giving us a picture of what the world out there is like for startups and entrepreneurs in the logistics and supply chain space. Thank you very much for being with us. Yeah, my pleasure. I really enjoy your podcast. So glad to, glad to be on. That was my conversation with Ryan Peterson of Freight Forwarder Flexport, talking about how startups can break into the logistics arena. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. See you next time.